Well, let me welcome everyone who's with us this morning. We have a pretty good number for an August morning as we're rounding out the summer, and I know we have people away. Let's pray for their safety. And no doubt with the coming of the holiday, Labor Day, we're going to have a lot of people traveling around. Even if you're remaining local, a lot of folks go and move around. So let's, let's remember everyone. Let's also keep in mind, as you can tell, I'm going to talk this morning about the tent meeting. And uh, let's keep that in mind. Let's pray for its success. Let's pray especially that uh, questions might be answered that might lead people closer to our Lord. So this coming um, September the 9th, which is in two weeks from, what, yesterday, I think, we will have a tent meeting with three gentlemen who are going to come, and I'm going to talk more about exactly what they're going to be doing. They are Marty Broadwell a guy that Montel and I went to school with, and Wes knows very well from down in Embry Hills, together with James Newman, who comes from Embry Hills, Georgia. And a lot of you guys know Brigham Eubanks. Uh, Brigham has been with us a number of times. A lot of us know him, uh, have known him for years and years. And uh, Brigham, of course, preaches, I think is down in Perth Amboy. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong about that. But Brigham is down there. He also is a school teacher. And so they are going to come and try to answer or attempt to answer maybe some very difficult and serious questions that people have. And I want to get into talking about exactly what we hope to accomplish. This will be Saturday afternoon, September the 9th. As I said, I think that's two weeks from yesterday. We're going to have two sessions. One will be at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the other at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And we're going to have a tent meeting. We are literally, Wes is already, I think, secured or procured, uh, a tent, a canopy that will be right out here on the lawn by the the building here, just like we did last year. And for those of you that were able to be at last year's, as I said, James Newman and Marty Broadwell. And one thing you want to know about them, they're coming from the perspective that both have served as elders at Embry Hills. So they really really have a lot of experience of working with people and working with parents. And obviously, if they've served as elders, they've been parents and are parents themselves. Brigham is also a younger man. He is a parent, and he works in the local school system, so he's dealing with kids and uh, young people uh, all the time. So they're coming from the perspective of really being involved in the subjects we want to talk about. We want to reach out to people that have very practical questions, and maybe you know people. Maybe you are someone that has a lot of questions, but perhaps you know someone. Um, People who have questions about raising children and what's going on in the world today and all of this kind of thing. And sincerely want to know how God or the Bible or religion or whatever can help. Well, these are the subjects. Four o'clock we're going to talk about or have a session on raising godly children. Again, if you're coming at it from the perspective of being an elder, you've accomplished that. And both of these gentlemen that have served, they have done that. They've raised godly children. They've raised faithful children. They know what it takes to do that. And uh, they don't live off on an island somewhere. They're right, you know, Embry Hills is right uh, suburb, so to speak, of Atlanta, Georgia. So they're right in that kind of urban situation. Obviously, Brigham works in that as well. And helping the next generation. Not just children, but, you know, there are generations to come, and we want to help them. I, I think all of us here this morning... If you turn on the news, or lately if you're like I am, and sometimes I'm just like, you know what, today is going to be a day I turn it off. I don't want to hear it. Um, There's a lot going on. It's difficult. 
it disturbs people. I don't know how many questions. This is probably true of Wes, and it's probably true of almost everyone here. But I don't know how many questions I've gotten over the last year, how many more I've gotten of concern for what's going on in the world, all the fighting, all the violence, all the terrorism, all the unrest, all the questions. And you've got children. Or if you don't, your brothers and sisters maybe. You have nieces and nephews. Or your neighbors have children. How do you raise a godly child in this world today? That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. It's a hard question. And these gentlemen are willing to address that. How do you help the next generation? A lot of discussion about the next generation. Everything from the state of morality to the debt that this country owes and maybe a lot of countries owe, the financial condition and the resources and are we going to have enough of them? Is there going to be enough clean water? Very practical questions. But then there's also the spiritual questions. What about the next generation? Will they be so concerned with just trying to live that spirituality will be lost? People worry about that. People are concerned about that. What about the state of the church and where is it going to be? If you look around and, you know, this church, we've said it often, it's unique. And we're very fortunate here, very blessed here. Whether we know it or not, we are. We are a thriving, vibrant, living church. There is a cross-section, not just of ethnic backgrounds, but we have very mature, very older people we have all the way down to newborns and babies on the way. <laughs> we, have, we have all of that, and we are blessed. But that's not so in many parts of this country and certainly many parts of the world. So they're going to come and talk about all of this kind of thing or any questions you have. So anything that has to do with raising God, godly children or helping the next generation, because people do have questions. I know they have them because I'm getting a lot of them. So people have questions. And they need answers to those questions. And these brethren are con- going to conduct a public forum. Now let me explain that. This is exactly what this is going to look like out here. Wes is going to have this tent or canopy, you, you know, what, like we bring to get-togethers and all of that. But it's a big one. It's going to be set up out here on the grass in the lawn here beside the building. There will be chairs out there arranged for us to sit. And up front there will be a panel of these three men. And they're going to accept questions. You can write the question out, just like I do with the question and answer uh, lessons, you know, on various subjects. You can write them out, you will submit them, and they'll take this question and they'll have a panel discussion about it. So all three of them, you know, one or up to all three will be involved in answering the question. It's a discussion of these topics. And so you can submit these written questions. And let me just go ahead and say this. You know, we're going to encourage people to keep the questions to the topics because, you know, we don't want a question to ask about Vladimir Putin. We're talking about, you know, raising godly children and helping the next generation. And while that might be somewhat related, you know what I'm saying. But you submit a question about these topics and the panel will indeed address them. Let me go a little further. What what are we really hoping to accomplish? I've been asked this question. What are we trying to accomplish by doing this? It's different, that's for sure. It's not your normal gospel meeting. So what do we really hope to accomplish by this? Well, we want to reach out to people. 
There is something about, and I don't know if it's an emotional appeal or whatever it is, but there is something about a little change of venue. And people like it. I know that when we had these things, it's obvious when we had the first one last year, a lot of you were there, and you invited people, and that was great. And it was just a change of venue. It was something different. And it was a place where you could come and genuinely ask a question. You have a concern. You want to ask a question. These topics, just like we're talking about this year, they mean something to you. And so we want to reach out to these people. And the Bible has answers to the hard questions. I think Johnny, it was, that said this morning in our class downstairs, this book has the answers. They are there. I may not know the answers. I may not know where to find them. These gentlemen will know where to find them. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're learned and they're studied and they're accomplished and they're successful. And so they will know where the answers are. But this book has the answers. And that's the point. Michael White doesn't have the answers to all the hard questions. I'm overwhelmed with them just like you are. Wes doesn't have the answers, but the Bible does. And when I need the answers to the hard questions that I know I'm asking and other people are asking, I know the Bible has those answers. Bottom line is, basically, Jesus is the answer. I told you before, it's been a long time ago, but I told you before, there's a, there's a hymn that came out, uh, a spiritual song that came out, I think the guy wrote it in the 80s, uh, Carol would know this, but uh, I think the guy wrote it in the 80s, it's called Jesus is the Answer. It's a beautiful song, it's a simple song, but Jesus is the answer. And Jesus is the answer for a world that desperately needs Jesus. In our songbook, we have a little song, you hear me lead it sometimes on Wednesday night, people need the Lord. That's actually a chorus from another song that was either written in the late 70s or early 80s. But people need the Lord. And He is the answer. And so, if you've got a friend or you've got a neighbor or you've got a relative and they're going through some of these things and they're asking some difficult questions, you may not have the answer. But you know that the Lord does. And you know the answers are in this book. And so the idea is... I'm just simply inviting someone to come and, you know, let's listen. Let's uh, ask the question and let's see what these guys can, can say and where they can turn in the Bible and answer the question. You know, brethren, I've been meeting. I want you to turn to the book of Acts with me for a moment. I just want to look at a couple of passages because we've been doing a lot of things this year, different venues, if you will, but a lot of things where we're considering questions. I even asked on the bulletin this morning, if you'll notice, one of the questions I asked was about discussing things and asking questions of each other and even getting to the point of debating. You know, Wes and I have been, and really it is amazing how much extra outside after the debates and so forth, it's generating questions and discussions and people coming back and saying, you know, you guys said this or you said that, Wes said this, you know, that kind of thing. And that's what we want. Because brethren have been doing that from the very beginning. If you'll look with me at, uh, well, I didn't put it up there. If you'll look with me at Acts chapter 15, for example, there was a very difficult question in their day. Not ours so much, but in their day. They had, uh, many of them who had been Jews, <coughs> obviously, had lived under the Old Testament, and circumcision was the law. In fact, it was a very fundamental, basic identifying mark, obviously, of being a Jew, of being one of God's people. 
And now there is Christianity and Gentiles are coming in and they didn't subscribe to circumcision. Their parents didn't circumcise their male children at birth and all of that kind of thing. So what about circumcision? Now you can have your differences and just leave it at that, but that's not what they did. And if we looked at Acts 15 and verse 2, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension. I mean, people are really disagreeing about this in that day. And disputation. They're arguing among themselves. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem, get together with the apostles and elders about this question. And if you read in the verses that follow, that's exactly what they do. And different ones speak and different ones say, you know, the Bible says this, or this is what we ought to do, or in case of Paul, for example, or Peter or someone like that, they'll say, God says this, this is what the Holy Spirit is inspiring us to teach, etc., etc. That's what we do today. Now, we don't have the exact same setting, but we have one very close. And when we have questions, we come together and we say, what does God say about it? And in this case, in the tent meeting, maybe we're going to ask a question about, you know, some of that that was read a moment ago by Ed from Ephesians 6. Fathers, you know, provoke not your children to wrath. What does that mean? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's my responsibility as a father. So what does that mean? What's that teaching me? And you ask a question and you discuss it and maybe they say something about it and somebody else says, yeah, well, what about this then? And they submit a question. That's exactly what's going on here. Turn a page or so over to Acts chapter 17 and notice that this was a common practice. Again, look down at verse 2 here. This is when Paul goes to Thessalonica in upper Greece. And Paul, as his manner was, his custom was, he went in unto them, into the synagogue, obviously. And for three Sabbath days, three Saturdays, he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. I want you to notice that language there. That's what we do. God says certain things in the Bible. We read it. We understand it. We apply logic to it, reasoning to it, thinking about it. We reason from it. I know Jacqueline, for example, had an extended discussion with someone on Friday. And that's exactly what she was doing. She was going to the Bible and saying, the Bible says this. And the person was saying, yeah, but I believe this. And, you know, and I think the Bible says this. And Jacqueline would say, yeah, but this is what the Bible says here. That's exactly what these brethren are doing. It's, no, it's nothing different than what's always been done. Notice verse 3 here, opening. When you take a Bible, you open it up and alleging. Now, that word alleging there means you make your argument. You pose something from the Scripture. You allege it, and just like, you know, a line of argument in a courtroom, and then you prove it by this. This is the evidence. They were opening and alleging that Christ must have suffered. A lot of Jews didn't believe that in that day. Maybe some don't today. That the Messiah has to suffer to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. That's a side argument from our subject from what we're talking about with the tent meeting. But the point is that when you need to answer a question, you go to the Bible and you do that. We see it again in Acts chapter 19. I won't turn and read that one. But we see it again in Acts 19 where Paul confronts a group of disciples, convinces them by teaching, etc., answering the questions of what baptism they need to be baptized with, and they are baptized. And then Paul continues in Ephesus about three years in a school, just really studying and digging into the Bible. That's what we want to accomplish. 
I want to look at a couple of verses. Look with me at Colossians chapter 4. So I might approach it like this and say, what would I tell a friend of mine that I'm inviting to the tent meeting? What would I tell them to expect? You've got some difficult questions. You want to ask them. What should you expect if you ask a question? Well, look at Colossians 4. This is what governs the way we answer questions, or it's what should. Look at verse 5. That I may make it manifest, clear, Paul says, as I ought to speak. Notice verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech, verse 6, be always with grace, favor. And this is the favor of God. What will favor someone? You've got a hard question. There is an answer. And there is an answer that that will give you favor from God. If you do this, God will favor you. But notice as it goes on here. With grace, seasoned with salt. What does that mean? If you want something to taste good, you season it. Now you can take a piece of meat or a vegetable and you can, you know, in the case of a vegetable, you can eat it raw. Some people eat meat raw, but I ain't going there. But, you know, you can cook the piece of meat or the vegetable or whatever, and it's usually pretty bland. Now, some vegetables taste pretty good, but meat, to me, without any seasoning, it's like, okay, that's a pile of protein, beautiful, but it sure ain't too good, you know. But now cook it in some fat. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But season it. You know, season it properly, and it's going to taste great. I mean, man, it can be one of the best tasting things. It's like take a bite of that. You know, we're thinking about it. We're probably all hungry. It's nearly 12. Like, wow, it's good. You know, same thing is true of the truth. You can tell someone a, a piece of truth that is right, and you can say it in such a way that either it's a nothing to them, like a piece of meat with no seasoning, or you know how it is when you... Let's say you want to put a little sprinkle of salt on something and the top falls off and you get a whole pile of it. And then you try to take that. I mean, it's horrible. You can try brushing the salt off and everything. It's horrible. You can ram the truth down someone's throat and it's just as horrible. And they're not hearing it. So if I say to someone, what should you expect to see when you come? Well, I, I know these guys. I know two of them very well. And James Newman, I've met. I know what you're going to get. And I know what you can expect. And you can expect that when they teach, they're going to teach the truth. And they're going to teach it with grace, with favor. Because they want people to understand the truth. And they're going to season it in just such a way that it will be good. And people will understand this is a good thing. This is coming from God. And it's a good thing. No, the Bible teaches us, for example, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, you can turn over there and notice that you need to be prepared as a Christian. You need to be prepared with an answer. When someone asks you a reason of something you do, you need to have an answer. I would suspect that if we get questions about raising children, that there are going to be a wide range of questions about discipline and about you know, privilege and license and how old this and how old that. Because that's what people are concerned with. And how do you get a child to do this and how do you get a child to do that? And the truth is, you have a way that works. As I said, in the case of two of these men, they they served as elders, so they accomplished raising faithful children. So what did you do? 
is the question. That's what I would want to ask. In fact, that's what I did ask when I was a lot younger. I went to parents who had successfully raised children because I was thinking about marriage and children and all of that. And I said, man, what did you do? I mean, you got six kids over here, and they're all faithful Christians, and you didn't stick them in, you know, some Amish-type community, so what did you do, you know? And they had answers. And they were very practical things. And I, I listened to that, because I figured, you know, when someone su- is successful at something, I want to hear it. I want to know what they did. That's the point. You need to give a reason. When someone asks you a question, a Christian needs to be able to give a reason And when we have people that are accomplished, they can give reasons. And finally, notice what Isaiah says. I was watching an interview the other day, and I noticed behind the guy was a bookcase, and nailed to one of the boards of the bookcase was a little plaque that said, Come now and let us reason together. That's exactly what God teaches. God does not teach, and I want you to hear this clearly. God does not teach you and I to blindly accept something by never questioning. I was saying to my father in a conversation the other day, I'm like, you know me, and he's known me a long time. (laughs) I said, you know me. And I'm not somebody that just accepts something without questioning. I just never have been that way. He knew that when I was a little boy. You know, I worried him to death with why this and why that. We're not supposed to as Christians. We're not supposed to gather like we are this morning and there's a guy up here in the pulpit and he says, don't worry about the whys, just do what I say. I don't know if you would accept that or not. I would hope you would not accept it. I would hope you would meet me at the back door and say, no, I am asking why. So I I need to see where God says this. Let's reason together. When we have questions, we sit down with the Word of God and we reason together from the Word of God. And that's what will happen, I believe, in this tent meeting. So, let's wrap it up. It's not going to be a long lesson this morning. Let's just wrap it up. Our tent meeting is going to be successful if each of us does what we can to make it successful. The first thing you need to do is be there. And then, you want to pick up someone and bring them with you. Now, let me mention again, and I said this last year. I may have said it a little different way, but I said it last year, and I want to say it again this year. The most successful, proven, most successful way to get someone to come to something. You got a forum you want to go to, you got an event you want to attend, you got a concert you want to be, you know, you want to be in the audience. If you want someone to go with you, the most successful way to get that person there is literally invite them and say, I'll pick you up. In other words, I want you to go to this concert with me. It's Thursday night, 7 o'clock. I'll be at your house at 6. I'll pick you up. We'll go together. Great. Now, what happens is, as Thursday comes closer, life happens. Right? We all know that. And maybe it gets closer and and you're tired on Thursday. I don't really feel like going. Or you've got something else. I really need to go buy groceries tonight. You know, suddenly those things become the most important thing in the world. So I really just don't have time to go. Same thing is going to happen with the tent meeting. But if you say to someone, I want you to go with me, let's go together to this, I think it's going to be great, build it up. And I'll come by and I'll pick you up and we'll go together and we'll be there at 4 o'clock. If someone knows that you're coming to their house to pick them up, the, the percentages of people that actually go through with it skyrocket. 
over just saying, will you come with me? So let's make it successful. You know, that's what they did in John 1. I've gone to this passage many times, so I'm not going to turn to it this morning. But you know the story. This is where Peter, or where Andrew, you know, he met Jesus. And then he went and picked up his brother Peter. And he brought Peter. Come and see was the idea. And again, you know, Philip and Nathaniel, the same scenario there. What's going on in that passage? The idea was come and see. You know, there's a lot of hard questions. There's a lot of difficulty in raising children today, godly children. It's a lot of concern for many of us. What about the next generation? What what can I do to help the next generation? I'm going to die someday. And I know that. And... You know, hopefully when I do, I'm going to leave behind people that I care about. The next generation. And even the next generation. When my great-grandmother died, she left five generations behind her. What about those generations? What can I do to help? We want this to be a successful meeting because the questions are so important. So be here and invite somebody to come. And as I say, notice again... Pick up the invitee that you want to come. Pick that person up. Wes has prepared some... They're out there, right, Wes? Wherever you are. Yes. Wes has prepared some invitations. They're out on the table in the foyer. On your way out, grab some invitations. Give them to people. Put, you know, Have them put them on their refrigerator. But again, if you really want that friend, that family member, that neighbor, that co-worker, that fellow student to be here, be willing to pick them up and bring them with you. And chances are great, high percentage, they will be. Now, one final thing that I want to say about this meeting. I want you to remember, it's like Wes said last year. You may remember, Wes stood right there in the middle of the stage, and Wes said, right out there, right out there, September 9th, although it was 10th last year, but September 9th, and remember Wes said, it's a big deal. And it is a big deal. We want this to be a successful meeting. So I want you to let this picture burn in your mind when you think about the tent meeting. I want you to see Wes's face, his his beautiful big smile. We won't talk about his head. But I want you to see Wes. Okay? No, seriously, people. We need to be here. We need to be here for our friends, our family, and the people we invite, for the neighborhood. We're going to have it out here, and everybody's going to see it. So if three or four of us show up, they're going to see that. And if a big crowd like last year shows up, they're going to see that. Montel, am I right? You nod your head. Didn't a lady make a comment to you very recently about remembering, yeah, remembering us being out there last year? People in the neighborhood see that. Let's make sure they see that this is a big deal to us. Jesus has the answers. Maybe you're here this morning and you need the Lord. You know He has the answers for your life. You believe in Him. You know He's the Son of God. No one really needs to prove that to you. You know that He is. And this morning you're willing to say, I do believe in Jesus. He is the Son of God. And you're ready this morning to repent. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that there's going to be some miracle take place and everything in your life is going to change. No, it doesn't. But it means you're ready to start changing today. It means that you want to make a change and you know you need to make a change. 
And your life needs to be different. A lot of us can relate to that. If you'll be baptized this morning, the Bible teaches us that your sins will be washed away. You'll be completely clear of any sin that has ever been against you. And you get to start over with your Lord. Now maybe you're here this morning and you've been baptized. And your life hasn't been what it needs to be. And you're saying, you know what, I need to make some changes. And I'd like to ask for people to pray for me because I need help and I need strength. And we'd love to do that together with you. Please come while we stand and sing.